Well, praise God. It's great that you could all join us. Thank you, Millers, for sharing your gift. And um, we are going to open the Word. Before we do that, just want to remind you of our our schedule. We do have um, Sunday mornings. There's a prayer meeting. First of all, Valley Brook Kids meets at 9 a.m. Uh, connect with Ashley if uh, if you haven't done so already, and she can get you hooked up for that. And then um, the so so Sundays there's a 9 a.m. meeting. There's a prayer meeting at 9:30, and then worship at 10. Then Tuesdays D2. Uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th grade has a, D, a, a Zoom meeting. And then Wednesday, the youth meets, and then we do have a Bible study. So um, join us at 7 for the Bible study if you have not already. So if you were with us last week, we looked at the second part of the prodigal son. And I said we were going to wait till Easter to look at the first part, the actual himself. So last week we looked at the older brother, and today we'll look at the prodigal. And I assure you, it ties in with Easter, and it'll make sense when we get there. But uh, let me begin with a survey I found of those who are avid readers, and they were asked to... Uh, to vote for the greatest writer of all time. And here are some of the names that they came up with. Some guy named Shakespeare. I tried reading him once, but I think his his English is atrocious. Um, but uh, Shakespeare, and then Dickens, then uh, uh, Doyevsky, Tolkien, he made some good movies, Tolstoy, Hemingway, Jane Austen, Orwell, Steinbeck, Mark Twain. Um, who do you think was voted the best author of all time? Here you go. It was Charles Dickens. Um, now, Dickens was asked, what's the greatest story, not that he wrote, but ever written in the history of man. And Charles Dickens said, it's the parable of the prodigal son. So the greatest writer of all time said the greatest story of all time was Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Um, I'm going to say that the reason it is such an incredible story is because of how utterly shocking it is. And to understand how shocking it is, you almost have to put yourself in the sandals of the first century hearer. Um, we have heard it so many times that we may have lost track of, of its shocking value. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm not going to read it all through first, because typically when you do a sermon, you read the text, then you go back and you pull out each verse. Um, I just kind of want to walk us through verse by verse so we can experience how shocking it is. Now, it's going to be difficult uh, to hear it again without saying, well, I know there, where this is going, but try. I am finding that that's easier the older I get. In fact, the other day, um, my I, I took 
my two boys, Caleb and Josh, we went to see a movie in a theater. And then it was a couple months later, it came out on DVD. And I was in the store, there was a red box there. And I'm like, that that movie's going to be interesting. I'm going to get that. And I brought it home and I, I brought the, the boys into the room and we started watching it. And um, I said, I have no idea how this movie ends, but I feel like I've I've seen it before. And um they said um yeah, dad, we have seen it before. <laughs> um we were we were just in the theater uh, a, a few months ago and and you saw it. So um I I I was able to watch the movie, but I had no idea where it was headed. So uh, if you could kind of do that as we walk through uh, the the prodigal son, uh, that would be great. So here here's where I'm going. I'm going to point out 15 shockers as we go through the prodigal son. Now, I am I on here? I just want to make sure that I am. Oh, I'm not on. Look at that. That's horrible. You don't get to see me. There we go. All right. Um, all right. So now that you can see me, it's going to be much better. All right. So 15 shockers. I'm going to start in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance now. Now, the culture in which Jesus spoke is what you call an honor-shame based culture. To show honor toward your elders, to show honor toward your parents was of utmost uh, importance. In fact, remember one of the Ten Commandments, in fact, the first commandment that deals with how you're to treat people, your father and mother. So the crowd must have been shocked when Jesus tells a story where a son goes up to his father, and basically here's what he's saying. I don't want you. I only want what you can give me utterly shocking and disrespectful. Now, the thing that makes it doubly shocking is that we know that in the story, we are the son and God is the father. So Jesus is teaching what, what Paul clearly teaches here in Romans 3. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And and you say, well, I I'm not. Uh, I, I haven't told God to go jump in the lake. Um, I, I'm not the prodigal son. But but realize, sin is not just here's a bunch of rules. Um, I try to keep them and then I break them. Ultimately, sin is saying, 
I want what God can give me more than I want him. And until we identify with the prodigal son, until we say, yes, I see that in my heart, the story won't make sense. And the good news of the gospel won't make sense. So I see this in my heart where I can say, God, I want what you can give me more than I want you. Next shocker. And I'm going to keep count up here. Um, Next shocker. It says, and he, so this is God, this is the Father, divided his property between them. Now, why is this shocking? Well, no self-respecting father in an honor-shame culture would do this. You would slap the boy, you would disown him, you would send him away, but you wouldn't shamefully say, all right, here, take your share, I'll do what you say. Now, um, why would the father in this story, in Jesus' story, actually do this? Well, remember the Father represents God, and God really has allowed us to disrespect him, and he has given us our share of the property without striking us dead. In fact, remember the original deal with mankind was in for in the day that you eat of it you eat the fruit you shall surely die the minute we sin we deserve to be struck dead but God in his grace by allowing us to uh, to live and to prosper and to enjoy all the good gifts he's given us in essence he's saying yeah I will I will do what you say I will give you your share of the estate right now. That's shocker number two. Shocker number three. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. The uh, NIV uses the translation, the word wasted his property in reckless living. Now, here's what this is teaching. We were created by God to know God, to love God, to do everything out of love for God. That is, That should be our motive for everything we do, everything we think, everything we say. In fact, Colossians says, All things were created by him and for him. I was created for him, to know him, to glorify him, to love him. If we live a life, and it it may even be an incredibly productive life, an incredibly moral life, an incredibly exemplary life, but we aren't doing it for him, we've wasted our life. We've squandered it. Don't necessarily equate the depravity of the young son um, and say, well, I'm not that depraved. I must be fine. No, a wasted life is one that isn't done out of love for the father. Shocker number four. And when he had spent everything, 
a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed, and here's the shocker, pigs. And a shudder goes through the crowd as Jesus uh, mentions that this Jewish boy is working on a Gentile pig farm. Uh, that is that is as unclean as you can get. And remember, in Isaiah, the assessment of us is this. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So the unclean pigs, by the way, a lot of us are going to eat some uh, some ham today, but uh, Jewish people still don't don't eat ham. Um, they were considered disgusting, unclean beasts, and the fact that this boy has sunk this low, uh, it, it's just utterly disgusting in the eyes and the ears of the first hearers. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Now, the, the literal translation is he came to himself. Uh, again, the NIV translates it this way. When he came to his senses. Do you understand what, what Jesus is saying here? If you're living life and you've not come to Christ, if you've not seen your sin and turned to him in faith and repentance, then you're out of your senses. A lot of people think, well, if you believe in God and you believe in Christ, you're out of your senses. No, God who created us says that if we are living in a state apart from Christ, we are out of our senses. I think of the demon-possessed man that Jesus cast the legion of demons out of, and then uh, he is, uh, the next scene we see him, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and the gospel says he was dressed and in his right mind. Right? When, we, when we're outside of Christ, we're not in our right mind. When we're in Christ, we are uh, in our right mind. Shocker number six. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The shocker is he's actually going to go back to this father whom he has so disrespected. Now, a little debate amongst theologians. When is the boy saved? Is this the point of salvation? Or is it when he's safely in the arms of his father? And I would lean towards saying 
Um, here, he feels the shame of his sin. He's attracted to the grace of his father, but he's yet to experience the full, overwhelming, shocking grace that still awaits him. But the crowd would say, he has the audacity to go back? Verse 7, now, uh, or, or number 7, verse 20. In verse 20, I see four shocking words. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and and embraced him and kissed him whoops that's that's my comment don't read it <laughs> um first he saw him all right for him to see him while he was still a long way off means he must have been looking every day right he longs for him some of you have prodigals and you may have had to exercise some tough love but deep in your heart you still long for them to return and this is the heart of god he longs for you to return the the next word is compassion now this is a shocking word because remember the whole context of why Jesus tells this parable. Um, he is eating with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are grumbling, saying, I can't believe he receives sinners. They didn't have compassion on sinners, they had disgust for sinners. So Jesus tells this story to say, God's heart toward the sinner is a heart of compassion. And again, the Pharisees hearing this were shocked. You mean to tell me God has pity on people like this? Yep, that's exactly why he tells the story. And now here's the big shocker. And the father ran. It's, it's probably the most shocking word in the parable, there's a, an author named Kenneth Bailey who's an expert on Middle Eastern culture, and I'm going to read a paragraph for, from him. He says, One of the main reasons why, why Middle Easterners of rank do not run is that traditionally they have worn long, long robes. This is true of both men and women. No one can run in a long robe without taking it up into his hands. When this occurs, the legs are exposed, which is considered humiliating. Clearly, exposure of the legs was considered shameful. The robes themselves reached to the ground to make sure this did not happen. A quaint ruling for the Sabbath states that if a bird crawls under your robe on the Sabbath, you may not catch it because you might have to expose your legs to do that. The suggested alternative is to sit quietly and wait till sundown so no one can see, and then reach under and seize the bird. Further, on the Sabbath, you couldn't smooth out your robe to make it look nice uh, and because you would have to lift it up. 
if your robe did not reach the ground and you didn't have a longer one for the Sabbath, you had to take the hem out so it touched the ground. Also, no one could jump or take long strides. One foot should be on the ground at all times. The reason for this is to assure that no part of the leg is ever exposed. Another author wrote this. Outer robes themselves are called Mekibedeth, meaning that which brings honor. So, while we look at this and we go, what's the big deal? The father ran. The original hearers were shocked. How shameful for an old man to, to hike up his, uh, his robe and run through town. Now, what's going on here? God runs, bringing shame upon himself to cover the shame of his son. You know, some people have read the story of the prodigal son, and they've said there's no cross in this story. God can just forgive without the cross. Well, I think the shame of the father, the shame of the father, willing to take shame upon himself is pointing to the shame of the cross. The old rugged cross says, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So the father runs, and when he sees the son, he embraces him and kisses him. Have you ever been on a pig farm? There is a disgusting odor, probably the most pungent, disgusting odor there is. I, I would prefer a skunk to the smell of pig dung. And this guy is covered in the odor of pig dung. And the father embraces him. What's the lesson here? Sinner, come as you are, still covered in the lingering odor of your sin. But wait, don't you need to repent? Well, he did repent. He left, he, he, he turned and left the pigsty. But repentance doesn't mean you have to perfectly clean yourself up so you're spotless before you come to Jesus. It does mean you turn and you walk toward him. Some people, though, are afraid to come to Christ because the smell of their sin still lingers. That's why you come to Christ. Uh, I, I find it funny when my wife and I go to a hotel, um, she usually makes the bed and cleans up the room for the maid who's coming to clean up the room. And I always say, 
that's why we're paying good money you know let leave it a mess let the maid clean the room some people think they need to self-reform before they come to Christ. Yes, you have to repent and turn and see your sin and run to Christ, but don't think you have to perfectly clean up everything. He does that, right? So then, verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, um, what's shocking here is that when we go from verse 20 to 21 to 22, we're going to see that there's no demand on the father's part for him to earn his way back. He, he doesn't say, okay, well, let's see how this goes. I'll start you back as a hired hand. You live out in the barn with the other hired hands, and then you, maybe you can work up to crew chief. And in 10, 20 years, maybe you get your room back. Right? This is as shocking as Jesus turning to the thief on the cross who had been cursing him, and the thief says, remember me. When you come into your kingdom and Jesus says, you would think he would say, no way. You haven't done enough. But Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. But the father said to his servants, there's three things going on here. Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Shouldn't the sun shower first before this, and, and, the, and the robe that's put on him, um, it's the best robe. This is the ornate robe. This, uh, this is what you would wear on your wedding day. This is what you would wear for the finest occasion. Why would he put it on him while he still smells? This is a picture of what happens the moment you trust in Christ. It's a picture, in the theological term, is a picture of justification. Justification is this. It's when you trust in Christ, Christ takes his perfect record and puts it on you and he takes your sinful record upon himself where he pays for it on the cross this is a picture of that transaction that takes place and the and then when his righteousness is placed on you god just or perfect that is a picture of justification. Now, you say, how does the prodigal son fit together with Easter? Well, Romans 4.25 speaks of Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, his death for our sin and his transferring of his righteousness 
to us. And then his resurrection from the dead, they all fit together this way. Christ paid the full price. He died. But how do we know God accepted that payment? He was raised for our justification. His resurrection from the grave guarantees us that when we, like the prodigal son, turn back to the Father and trust in him and trust in what Christ has done, that he declares us just. His resurrection is the victory cry that we're covered. That's how this all fits together. So, the best robe being placed on the dirty sun is a picture of our justification. Next, a ring is placed on his hand. Now, this isn't just an ordinary ring. This is a signet ring. The family emblem, uh, the family crest is on the ring. And with that family emblem, you could sign documents, seal them with wax, and put your official stamp of authority on the transaction. This is a picture of us being welcomed back, and now we are ambassadors for the kingdom. Christ has been raised above all principalities and powers, and it says we join him there. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. You can pray in the name of Jesus because when you're united to him, he takes us back and makes us ambassadors and gives us authority. But then there's the shoes. Shoes on his feet, or some translations say sandals on his feet. So when he came back, he must have been barefoot. Here, the father is restoring him to the family. He's taking care of him. You're not just forgiven. You are back in the family. We are children of God because of what Christ has done. And then, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. Look at there's there's no shame. The father says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just have him come back, go in the back door, don't let anybody see you. We're gonna invite the whole village, and we're gonna kill the fatted calf, and we're gonna have a party and celebrate. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So today is Easter, where we can celebrate, where we should celebrate. You should celebrate today, not just because the nice guy, Jesus, came back from the dead. If, if that's all it was, was Jesus was a good guy, they unjustly killed him, and then he came back from the dead, his story is no different than Lazarus who died and was brought back from the dead. The thing that makes Christ's death and resurrection uh, a celebration-worthy event is because his death and resurrection is the basis upon which 
God can now run to us, embrace us, cover us with his robe, and make us part of the family forever. Now, last thing. Have you turned and walked back to the Father? That's why Jesus came. He came to make it possible so that when we turn, God runs to us. He forgives us. He covers us. He brings us into the family. And the the good news is you're saved by what Jesus direction, not by what we do. So um, I want to encourage you, maybe even right now, if, if you have never trusted Christ, to in your heart turn and walk and, and picture the Father running to you and covering you with the righteousness of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we celebrate today. We celebrate your victory over death. We celebrate your payment for sin. We celebrate that while you took our shame, you rose from the dead victorious over sin, over death. And we celebrate the fact that you invite us to be welcomed back into the family because of Christ. Lord, I pray for those uh, who may have never trusted in you, that you would use this story, which pictures reality of what you did for us. Use this story to draw us to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.